In the book of Acts in chapter 22, uh, we're going to continue from when we were at a couple weeks ago. Remember, Paul had been arrested, and he is in Jerusalem, and he's been warned and forewarned several times that uh, bad things awaited him there, and we learned la uh, last time that uh, they were beating him and somebody had to stop him or they probably would have killed him. And anyway, now he's kind of in the custody right now of the Roman government at this point in time when we begin to read this chapter here. So as we get ready to start this morning, let's, uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer over the word that we're going to read and ask him to share with us and enlighten us what we need for this hour. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. God, we give you thanks for this time and this opportunity. Once again, we pray, Lord, over this word which we're going to receive today. We pray, Lord, for ears to hear. We pray for eyes that see. And we pray, Lord, now for the ability to expound upon your word today. Speak to us today, Lord, through your word. And we pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled today's lesson in Acts 22. It just interests me. This goes along a week at a time. The Lord just gives me one lesson at a time as we go through each chapter. It has really amazed me. But I never would have gotten this title from it if I'd have tried to figure it out myself. But it's called an inconvenient truth. How many knows that sometimes the truth is inconvenient to us? Sometimes uh, you've got plans, you want to do things, and you figure up, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this and this and this, and you wake up that day and you're sick. The truth is, you're probably not going to get that work done today. It's inconvenient to you because you had planned everything around it, you wanted to get it done, and but you're not going to be able to do it. So sometimes the truth is inconvenient, and we're going to see today that the gospel of Jesus Christ is inconvenient to some folks. And it was inconvenient to the people Paul's going to have to try to address here and hopefully change their mind. But we're going to see that it didn't work because it was an inconvenient truth for them. So as we start that, just keep that in mind that that's the title of our lesson is an inconvenient truth. So in Acts 22, let's read uh, the first five verses together and we'll talk just a little bit about those. So in verse 1 it says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And this is where, uh, let me just give us, to get us caught back up real quickly. Remember they were beating him and about to tear him limb from limb and everything was going on and they finally got him in the custody of the Roman people and they brought him and was going to take him to the barracks. They were going to just go put him in a jail cell until they could figure out what all was going on. But right at the last minute, Paul said, hold on just a minute. Can I, would you give me just a second to speak to these people? And so that's where the story ended at the last chapter we read. So he's now beginning to address this group of people. This is a whole group of Jewish people who are his brethren by blood and also the same religion as them. These are his people, okay? So he's, he's asked for permission. Give me just a second before you take me to the barracks. Let me talk to him, okay? And that's what we're starting with. So he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, Cilicia, I'm sorry, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way, which is talking about the Christian way. That's what they referred to it as. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. 
as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul addresses this group of people not as an outsider, but as one of them. He basically tells them, look, the the feelings you have toward me right now as a Christian believer, as a believer in Jesus of Nazareth, those feelings you have toward me, I used to have those same feelings. I even was doing what you're doing now, and I was persecuting people who called on the name of Jesus. And so he's relating to them, saying, look, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm trying to talk to you about. So Paul was not an outsider of the Jewish faith. He was not a Gentile born in some God-forsaken pagan land, but he was a Jew. You ever notice that sometimes the people that should share things with you the most are the ones that work the hardest against you? A lot of people say that uh, nobody will do you like family will, right? A lot of times family will be your, your biggest obstacle in life. People that should be your biggest help will sometimes be your biggest obstacle. And here, for according to Paul and what was going on here, these people should have been able to understand this more than anybody, but they were working the hardest against him. But then he relates to them. He's saying, I'm like you. I'm a Jew. He was also a strict follower of the Jewish faith, which was the law of Moses, by choice. So he was born Jewish as his ethnicity, but then as he got a little older, he was interested in the law of Moses and the, and the Pharisees' religion and stuff, and he went full into it by choice. He wanted to be into that. So this is not some outsider. And so he implores the crowd of his own blood brethren and the same religion to hear his testimony. It's interesting to me that at first they was willing to listen to him because he spoke in Hebrew, their native language. That caught their attention, didn't it? When he started speaking in their native language, they thought, oh, wait a minute, this guy knows a little bit of something about us. So something we can learn from that is it's definitely easier to relate to someone who's like us. It definitely is. Somebody at work's doing the same job. Somebody kind of maybe had the same upbringing. Those kinds of things, we can relate to people. I was uh, listening to someone on the radio the other day, and they had a program on. It was a Christian program, and they was talking about they're geared more toward big cities and urban things. And I just didn't get a lot of the things they were talking about because I wasn't raised in a big city. I don't understand what it's like to walk through or have to bypass a ghetto area. I, I, I don't get that. I don't understand it. But if you want to talk to me about, you know, chopping weeds out of a garden or putting up hay or fishing or that kind of, that's my kind of thing. I can relate to those things. So when we're witnessing for Christ, and this is what Paul's doing here, we have to kind of relate to the crowd we're talking to. And this this crowd was one he could definitely relate to. Amen? So it's definitely easier. Maybe it's our upbringing, our shared interests, shared experiences, our careers, or things we have in common. These things that we share in common with others make it easy to have a conversation with people and relate to them. Paul sought to capitalize on this in hopes that the crowd would understand his message. And I just made a note for this myself, that that's wisdom. That was a wise thing for him to do. They were going to whisk him away and put him into the the barracks. And he said, hold on. These are my people. Hold on just a minute. Let me talk to these people just a minute. And so now he's going to go on and recount his his story of conversion in hopes 
that maybe they'll see that, look, I was just like you and something happened to me. Something, a drastic thing has happened and changed me. I remember talking with some people one time and, and uh, a lot of the people in my family, they were what they called, uh, they liked making moonshine. And the ones that didn't make it liked drinking it. And so they came from that kind of a background. And they were talking about that when they got saved, all of a sudden, man, that desire just kind of went away. And so they would go around and tell all their old drinking buddies, man, I got saved, you know. And these were the people they used to go run around with. And see, that was a good witness because they could say, hey, I used to, you remember we used to do that stuff together. But the Lord got a hold of me and changed me. And so that was a good witness. And that's what was going on here. So that's wisdom. Use your life experiences to be able to relate to other people. Now, there's going to be some people, like I said, I, I don't know how really to relate to some people because they live in a completely different world and reality than I do. But, you know, I remember what it was like to uh, get up on uh, uh, summer mornings and the garden was in full and all that stuff and Dad would leave instructions for me and my brother. I want that hoe, I want that corn chopped out. Take it and get the weeds out. Help your mommy break the beans. Whatever. He'd leave instructions for that day what was supposed to be done. So I understand those kinds of things. Somebody talking about living in a cul-de-sac and all that kind of stuff, that's, that's Greek to me. I don't understand that. So use your experiences when especially you're around people who's like you that you can relate to them. And that's, that's a good, wise thing to do. Let's start now in verse 6. And this will be a lengthy passage all the way down to... Uh, I've got listed down to about verse 24. But this is Paul's conversion story as he tells it to this crowd. He repeats the story that happened to him. And uh, we'll read those and then talk about a couple things. Verse 6 says, Now it happened. Now Paul starts to tell his story to him. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? Then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, Go into and to go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And I could not see for the glory of that light. Being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was, was standing by consenting 
standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. <clears throat> they listened for a little while, and then when they'd had enough, they said, okay, away with this fellow. This guy's crazy. Have you ever noticed how weird, I guess, and childish grown men and human beings will act because they disagreed with what Paul was saying? Throwing dust on their head, tearing their clothes, and all these things, all because he dared threaten their prestige and their standing in the world. It was an inconvenient truth that he told them. Paul told them exactly what happened to him. That was the truth. But they didn't like that truth. Because it didn't fit their narrative, right? We experience a lot of that right now. This, this news media that's in control of about 90% of our information, they have a narrative. Anybody can objective can look and see they've got a narrative and they shape everything toward it. And anything that doesn't fit that, that would contradict that narrative, what do they do? They just omit it. Don't talk about it. Right? Just don't talk about it. So it's an inconvenient truth, just like this message here that he was telling. Jesus saved me. This guy that we thought was a blasphemer, this guy that everybody's worked against and they hung on a cross, I met him personally and he changed me. My experience with him was so great that I was blind for three days. The glory of the light around him was so great. Right? So he's trying to get them to see, but then they didn't want that truth. That was the absolute truth. Paul's just telling them, this is what happened to me. But they didn't want to accept that truth. It was inconvenient. I want us to notice something very important here. Paul did not try to portray himself as better than those in the crowd. What did he tell them? I was just like you. I used to do what you're doing now. And something happened and I was changed. When we're witnessing for Christ, whether it be our family, our friends, co-workers or whatever, don't never take the approach that, oh, I've arrived and I'm better and somehow God owed me getting saved. He, he, it, it was something I was so good that He had to save me, but now you're just going to get by the skin of your teeth. We never want to portray that to people. Now, there's a lot of people in and I noticed some, some grins this morning. But there's a lot of people in this world that has that mentality. They think, well, they, they were just so good that, that Jesus just had to save them, but now everybody else got to work real hard, right? Don't never take the approach that we're better than somebody else. The grace of Jesus came to me. I was a sinner. I was raised in church. My granddad and my dad, both preachers. My uncles and great uncles and aunts and stuff, singers in the church. I had the background. But I realized one day at about the age of 11 or 12 that I was a sinner and that I was no good. And I had to accept Jesus' mercy and grace. And that's it. That's the bottom line. What I've done between now and then, that's between then and now. That's just my relationship with the Lord. But I didn't get into this kingdom of heaven on my goodness, but on the one who hung on the cross. Amen. So we have to remember, do like Paul did here. Don't try to portray ourselves as better than everybody else in the crowd. 
He basically said, I was exactly like you. This is probably the most overlooked attribute for Christians when we witness to others, yet it's the most important one to have. And that is this statement right here. I too was lost in sin, but by the grace and mercy of God I've been saved. Period. Now, depending on who you talk to or where people go to church, they'll start adding to that right there. They don't stop with the period. They put a comma. The Bible says this. We are saved by faith through grace, by grace through faith, and that not of works. Why? Lest anyone should boast. We are His workmanship. Born again in His blood. Amen? So that tells me that Jesus saved me and Jesus will keep me saved, period. Everything I do in addition to that is just my personal relationship with Him. I can go win the world for the win the world and, and get a lot of people saved and all that kind of stuff. But if I go around thinking I'm better than anybody, I will have to answer for that one of these days. So be like Paul here and say, look guys, I was born like y'all. I was raised like y'all. I'm just like you. I used to do exactly what you're doing now. That's why, you know, we I see kids in high school. I get to see that a lot as a bus driver and especially when kids get to high school, you know, little kids, you, they all kind of act the same. <clears throat> but when they get a little more grown and I have a vocational run, so I get to see the, the higher grades, the juniors and seniors. And those little kids have now grown up and they're the cream of the crop. And some of them, they walk around, they're so cool that they can't hardly even walk right. They got this funny little walk. They're just so cool. But I think back, I, I think it's comical now, but I have to remember, I look back and I think I was that guy on the football team, weightlifting record, I walked around with your chest stuck at right. I was that guy. And when we see somebody sinning, maybe they're sinning in a worse way than we did. Maybe they're doing things that was a lot worse than we ever got into. But the fact of the matter is, we were lost and needed a Savior, just like everybody else. That's why we can be sympathetic to the lost and pray for God to have mercy on them and to be patient with them and to not snatch their life from this earth, right? That's why we can do that. Because we realize I was there once too. I did lots of things that I knew I shouldn't do, right? Drive too fast. Me and my buddies, it was a big thing back in the 90s. NASCAR was exploding. It was a big thing. So we all had cars. We didn't want trucks. We wanted fast cars. And we'd push them to the limit. See how fast they would go. Thank God he protected me. Could have been killed in a car wreck very easily. See what I'm saying? I understand these things. And I have to be wise enough to look and say, man, I used to do it. God have mercy on those youngins that's doing it. Keep them safe. Till they wise up and say it's not wise to do that. So that is our that's our foundation. I was once lost, but now found. I was blind, but now I see. And I don't need to take that and use it as, well, I'm better than everybody else. It's only by His mercy. So to the humble born-again believer who is truly full of the Holy Spirit, that's our foundation. Everything will hinge on that. Whatever I do or accomplish, it's because Jesus saved me. <laughs> it's because Jesus saved me. How did you become a preacher? Well, I studied and worked hard because Jesus saved me. I couldn't have been a preacher if He hadn't saved me first. Right? 
I couldn't have accomplished anything. I couldn't become a father had he not said, it's okay, I'm going to let him have children. How many people in this world tries to have children and ain't able to? You see what I'm saying? We have to look at this in the grand scope of things. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, to the arrogant Christian, trying to prove they're better than everyone else, this is an inconvenient truth. They're just like this mob of people that's talking to Paul. Paul told him his story, told them his story, and they said, we don't like that story. Away with this guy. There are Christian people right now, there's probably some sitting in churches at this very moment in our area that's chests are swelled out because they think they're better than everybody else. And when you try to talk to them about God's mercy and grace, you know what the first thing they'll do? They'll shout you down and say, well, well I've done this. And I've done that. Bravo. How did you do it? Who gave you the strength to do it? Who gave you the ability to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding of the Scriptures? Who's causing your heart to keep beating and not skip a beat and die? A friend of mine, we were talking the other day, how, how futile life really is. If your heart stops beating for more than just a few seconds, you're going to be gone. But somehow, from the time you were conceived, the Lord keeps you alive. Your heart beats. Oh. So we can't boast in ourselves, can we, of anything. Those Christians who are filled with pride about how good they are, they go about trying to prove they're full of the Holy Spirit by works and gifts, yet they have no fruit. You probably know some. I am bound and determined that in our church here, we will not teach such filthy doctrine, I call it. Because I've been given mercy. And I've been given His grace, not only when I was saved, but every day since then. Hallelujah. These are no different than the mob who had gathered to have Paul killed. You can't even talk with them about grace and mercy without them trying to correct you with laws and rules and regulations. Now here's something important that the Lord gave me on this. They want credit and attention for their good works. They want a pat on the back. Look at me, all I've done. I've seen so many Facebook posts back during this past election. Well, we're going to pray and we're going to turn this thing around. We're going to do this and God's going to have to do this. And we're going to do this. And God did not do it. God said before it ever got finalized, this is the way it's going to be. Christians need to get themselves in line and be ready for an unjust ruler. But there was people lying and saying, well, because we did this and because we did that, blah, 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 blah. And he put words in God's mouth that were not true. Shameful. So they don't want to give credit to God. They want the credit for their good works. So therefore, God's truth, that Jesus alone is the Savior, is not convenient for them. Just like this mob of people, Paul told one of the most beautiful stories that's ever been told. I was rounding up Christians and beating them, having them arrested, and even watched them die. But then Jesus saved me. Is there any greater story? That I was responsible 
for sending people into eternity because I didn't like their doctrine. And then the very doctrine that I hated and despised and worked against, the head of that doctrine, the head of the church, Jesus himself, met me on the road to Damascus and said, you need to get saved because you're persecuting me. Hallelujah. But yet these people said, I don't like that truth. Why? Because it was inconvenient for them. It showed that they were going to have to humble themselves and accept Jesus. It showed that they were going to have to humble themselves and admit that they were sinners. The end of the story is this. The end of the matter is this. People who do that, and this is serious from the Lord, is that they steal glory from Jesus and give it to themselves. That's why the Bible teaches us so hard that it's not about our works. Yes, our works are important. Our works is what helps other people see and, and see the goodness of God and all those things. But those things do not pertain to my salvation. My salvation is because of that man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, who went to that cross and said, it's finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why we're born again. That's why we're in the kingdom of heaven. And that's why we'll accomplish anything that we might accomplish in His name. Amen? That is the truth. Like we said, for some it's not, not convenient, nonetheless the truth. Verse 25 through 30, and we'll finish with these. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. What they didn't realize is he actually had Roman citizenship. Paul was actually a Roman citizen as well because of where he was born. Take care what you do for this man is a Roman, verse 27. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. <clears throat> and Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Talk about an inconvenient truth was for this Roman commander. When he found out Paul was actually a Roman citizen, see, there was a Roman law that for Roman citizens, they got special treatment. They don't get the same treatment as foreigners and vagabonds and all that and all these other things. If they're a Roman citizen, they have certain rights. <clears throat> Sound familiar? American citizens are supposed to have certain rights. Amen? But Paul knew this. And he knew, look, y'all have not actually charged me with some kind of crime, so why are y'all doing this to me? Why are you going to scourge me? Why are you going to beat me? When they found out he was a Roman citizen, they was like, ooh. We better let this find its way back to the top, because then we'll be in trouble, right? So they turned him loose and waited for the next day to bring him down. So I wanted to just make note of this this morning. It's perfectly biblical to know and exercise our rights as citizens. There's a lot of people that think because you accept Christ that you give up all your rights as a citizen. Paul didn't believe that. Paul right here, he said, look, I'm still a Roman citizen. At least right now, I'm still a Roman citizen. And y'all can't do this to me. 
without being properly charged. Y'all can't do this to me. You've got to make a, an accusation and I've got to be found guilty and be condemned. Then you can beat me all you want. But until then, you can't do it. So it's perfectly biblical to know and exercise our rights as citizens. Paul capitalized on this, knowing that a Roman citizen couldn't be beaten without being properly charged. We need to know our rights and exercise them when necessary. One big one in our country is the right to speak freely about our Savior Jesus, especially in our churches. We see what the government will do. Did you see, I think everyone noticed what happened in California this year? I know it was probably wise and we didn't have to be forced and told not to have church. We thought, well, let's cancel for a little while till this thing settles out. We used our own wisdom, but that was our choice. Out there in California, they shut down churches and said, you cannot under any circumstances gather. Well, now it's another one of them things the news media won't talk about. That was challenged in the Supreme Court and they said, you can't do that to them. If they wanted to have church, you can't stop them because in this country, you, the government cannot regulate what goes on in the church. And so that's wise for us to know our rights. The government tells us you can't have church, you can't do that. Well, sure we can. It's, in, it's part of our rights. Sometimes we need to call on that, right? We don't want to do it in a way that causes a bunch of trouble and problems and stuff. But here Paul, was he, he took it right up to the very edge. When they were getting ready to beat and scourge him again, he said, wait a minute now. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this. So he did it as peacefully as he could to not cause any problems. But you and I need to know our rights. They can't tell us not to talk about Jesus. They tell us not to talk about Jesus. What do we say? Watch me. We have to talk about Jesus. Not as like it's some kind of command, but he's too good to not talk about. Amen? He's been too good to us. So in America, the government cannot regulate the church. This is an inconvenient truth for those who oppose the gospel. They're just looking for some reason. What can we do to shut Christianity down? Christianity is a stumbling block to a completely evil society. But as long as we're still here, guess what? Jesus said, you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Amen. And how do we shine our light? By magnifying the one who saved us. And saying to others, he can save you too. Yeah, we can say if we was a drunk or a whatever, we say, I used to be that, but the Lord can take you out of that bar, change your life, and then you can come to church with me. Praise God. Whatever the case may be. I used to, people might say, well, I used to sleep around, do this and do that, but now the Lord saved me and He gave me a good wife and I'll be with faithful with her forever. And they can share that with other people. Wherever we're at, whatever our experience was, share that with other people. Don't just try to say, well, that was in my past and bury it. That may be what helps somebody else come to the Lord and see that there is forgiveness in Jesus. The devil beats people up and makes them think they're not worthy. Not worthy to come to Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever will, whosoever will, let them come. So that's an inconvenient truth for those who oppose the gospel. Nevertheless, we share the good news of the gospel with those who are willing to hear it. Can't ram it down anybody's throat. But just like with Paul, he finally realized here that nobody in Jerusalem is going to hear this. So now I'll go and I'll talk to some people in Rome. Guess what? A lot of people accepted his message. Amen? May we as Christians 
as we close this morning. As individuals, as a church, as a group, may we continue to share the goodness of God through His Son Jesus to all who have ears to hear. Amen. Our message is the truth. This truth is inconvenient for some, but it is no less the truth. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And God didn't make me some kind of super saint the day that I accepted Him. He made me His child. And every day since then, I need Him. Just yesterday, I'll share this before I close. Our area where we live, my mom and dad and, and my family, we live on the very eastern side of Mercer County. And even when other people were getting a few showers here and there, we got nothing. Even this past week, it's been raining a lot more in other places than it has at our house. We finally got a little bit here and there. And, and Nathan and I got busy in the building yesterday working on his truck. We was piddling around there, and I fooled around. It got almost dark. It's time to feed the animals. Next thing I know, it starts pouring the rain. And do you believe that the same man, my me, the same man who'd been begging God for rain, Lord, give us a shower. Fussed because it started raining and I couldn't get my other work done. Ask my son, he'll tell you. What kind of a man is that but a man who needs Jesus? That happened less than 24 hours ago. And when I went to bed last night, it hit me. I realized, Lord, I complained on the very answered prayer you gave me because it wasn't convenient for me. Shame on me. So I need Him every day. Hallelujah. That is the truth. I needed Him to forgive me of my sins and I need Him to forgive me every day of my shortcomings from then on. But He's merciful and He's gracious to us. That's our message. That's the truth. Amen. Not that I'm going to reach some plateau and look down my nose at everybody else. Because the truth is we're going to need Him every day of our life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've given the word which you've given us. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you're merciful and gracious to us. We thank you, Lord, that we're better than no one else. And God, we see here that we don't want to be like those that the truth was inconvenient to us. Lord, the truth is the truth and we must accept it. Help us not to be like those people that was wanting to stone Paul and beat him to death because they didn't like his message. Help us to be those humble Christians, Lord who accept the truth, that it's all about You, Jesus. That You saved us and You will keep us saved. There's nothing we can add to or take away from that. That is the truth. Everything else is just our personal relationship with You. We can never become so far above sin that we won't be tempted. We can never become so far of, of problems that we won't be taken and swallowed up in them. So Lord, we depend upon Your grace and Your mercy. We depend upon the one who hung on the cross for our salvation. And we depend upon Him every day since then to make intercession unto the Father for us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here today and those that may hear it by other means, help us, Lord, to remain humble and to accept this truth that, yes, is inconvenient to others and sometimes even to us, but it is the truth, Lord, that You died for the ungodly, that You died in place of us and there's nothing more we can add to that. We give you thanks today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy through Jesus Christ on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.